everybody. I'm Debbie Montgomery Johnson, founder of the nonprofit, The Woman Behind the Smile, and your host of Stand Up and Speak Up, a show that is about each and every one of us. Many of us have something, something we're hiding, something we're ashamed of, something not through no fault of our own or through our own making we keep hidden, and that in turn keeps us hidden from each other and the world. Good people go through terrible situations. Wise people know when and how to let it go. Everything that happens to us helps us grow, and while it may be hard to see it right away, the most important thing to do is to change your perception about your circumstances. Regardless of what your personal experiences or traumas have been, this showcase series is designed to ignite the light in you, as well as providing safe harbor, education, personal growth, and resources so that no matter where you are on your journey, you'll have the courage to move on when you're ready. Stand Up and Speak Up features ordinary people who've been through extraordinary situations and struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and speak up about their experiences and the lessons gleaned from those experiences. Everybody heals at a different pace, and we recognize that. So come on in, have a listen, and enjoy the ride at your own speed. Hey, everybody, this is Debbie, and this is a unique experience for me coming to you doing part two of my talks with Ken and Kenny Roshan. Part one was my discussion with Kenny about writing six books by the age of eight. And it was an extraordinary, extraordinary conversation. And we had such fun. I laughed through the whole thing. And when I edited the replay, I laughed again. So today's a little more serious. I'm having a discussion with his dad, Ken Roshan Jr., well known as Dr. Smiley. And I wanted to bring this part of the show to you so you can hear a dad's point of view on a young man age eight writing six books. So here we go. Let's enjoy this second part of the Ken and Kenny Roshan show. Thank you so much for being on my show because you're going to make people stand up and speak up about writing books. Thank you so much. Thank you, Miss Debbie. You've done a yeah. great job. And thank you so much for being my youngest and my happiest guest. Well, he has walked away skipping and jumping, so he is <laughs> off to, off to I guess, his two hours, I thought, that was 30 minutes on video games. Wow, he gets two <laughs> hours today, and he's going to get a new, yeah. a new video he because does, of the reviews. He does reviews. not get two hours. I don't, I don't know where that came from. We, we have a 30-minute time we're all too happy to put on. Well, he put it out there to the world that his secret 30 minutes is now two hours. Well, he never tells us if it goes off. We have to keep track of that part. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Well, you've done a fabulous job, Ken. I'm, I'm so excited that he came on. And I really am genuinely uh, impressed by the books. I, when I took them out to the grandkids, I actually sat down and read them before I sat with the kids. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this kid is doing so well. And I know he's got the influence of you and your business behind him. But what a great thing to teach a child. Um, people ask, did he really do these books? Because they're a bit astonished, like, is it possible an eight-year-old could do this? And the truth is he couldn't do it without the publishing experience I bring to it or having a graphic team around him, but he does actually do this. I tell him, I'm not doing these books for you. If you want your name on the cover, you have to get all the content. So he does get all the content. Well, and he told me, he sits down and, I mean, it's incredible. He sits yes. at the computer and looks up things that other people don't know. And it's interesting coming from a child's point of view, there's a lot that a child wouldn't know, but the things that he's coming up with, it's a lot of stuff we didn't know. Right. Well, or maybe knew at one well, point but forgot. He also, if he can stump me, he knows that's a good one. The <laughs> pandemic handed us all the same thing. It handed us uncertainty. It handed us chaos. It handed us, uh, for most part, financial turmoil. And what it handed me, though, is I said, wow, I travel so much and I miss fatherhood. 
uh, and even though I get I get the most I can out of fatherhood when I'm here, I said, I get to be home. And so the first, when he was six, he was not an author, and that's a very important thing for people to hear. At age six, he was not an author. At age seven, he would have not been an author if there was no pandemic. Mm. With the pandemic, we had time to get to know each other and to have fun. And I got to go back to my teaching style, and I said, you know, Kenny, uh, I think I can teach you about electricity and about why things work and all these things. And he says, this seems like it's kind of high level, but he didn't know I've been teaching that since age three. So he picked it up very quickly. From age three, I, I didn't know how to teach any other subject but physical science. So at age three, he was learning circuitry. I was putting together batteries and circuits so that he would watch a fan go up in the air or watch a light turn on. And uh, all that made sense to me that that's fa- that makes learning fascinating. Well, and he's at the right age to sponge, be that sponge. You know, that's what yes. is it, before five, I don't remember exactly what the date is, but it's like five to seven, uh, you know, and I see it with my grandkids. They're, they're seven and under, and I'm so amazed at what comes out of their mouths sometimes. I think the best gift you can ever give your kid is to write a book to them, and so I do write a book every single year to my son, and the, one of the books I wrote was Kenny's Favorite Things, and that, that started the series, and had I not written that book, and it was about what I saw him do that made me smile mm-hmm. and what I saw him do that made me proud, and I gave this to him on his sixth birthday, and that's kind of what I think caused a conversation of, hey, Kenny, I've done Kenny's Favorite Things. Why don't you do your favorite jokes? And so all this came about with just putting it out in the world that you can make a difference in a positive way. And so that's what kids will buy into if you put that out there for them. Absolutely. It's important that when you have your child doing these kind of adult activities, they, they need to have the free will and the pace that they don't shut down later. They, they don't burn out. That's very important. So I do want to advise people that when you're doing this, it's in partnership, it's in uh, a pace that they enjoy. And he happens to be able to do this in three months and it's because I have a team around him that support his content. I need to make sure I wasn't pushing him. I just asked him, I said, Kenny, do you really enjoy this? And he says, yeah, I really do. And I said, do you want to do more of them? And he says, yes. And, I, and he did this live without any um, coaching at a, at a book fair. It was his very first book fair. And he got two standing ovations. And he just spoke his heart. And then the other day when he didn't want to do some of the content for uh, Kenny's favorite things about America, I said, Kenny, if you don't want to do the content, then we don't have to do the book. And he says, no, I want to do the content. And I said, okay, that's, it's your choice. It's free will. And then he says, I, I want to do a lot more books, Daddy. And I said, well, what book do you want to do after uh, Kenny's favorite uh, phobias to conquer? And he says, well, I want to do Kenny's favorite things about history. And that blew my mind because that was him starting to tell me where the books were going. Because mm-hmm. when I told him these book ideas, I said, hey, well, you know so much about this. Why don't you do a book about it? And that's why science came in early because I had taught him so much science. So let's, let's turn to Dad, to Dr. Smiley, to Ken. You're not senior because your pop's name was Ken also. Is that correct? Yes, and he's not as, he's not as excited about that same name. Uh, he, it's so funny. I think my dad is the best person in the world, and so I wanted to name my son after him. But he, it, it certainly wouldn't have happened if my mom didn't uh, basically suggest that I be named after my father. But, you know, the junior-senior thing has been something that he has to eat because of uh, – just messed up uh, records in Maryland of sometimes my my taxes go to his house and vice versa. Oh. So, so he gets so he gets so frustrated about it. But to me, that's just part of life, and it's uh, it's just a little it's a little thing that's a negative. That but everything else I think is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad is a junior, but he he did not name a, a third 
Um, they all have a John or a Garrett or something. There's iterations of the name, but not a, the John Jr. But anyway, I, I I'm so impressed with what you've done with with your son and and. Let's let's talk about you because I've been I was doing some research on you and I've known you for a little bit not well but the more we have such fun when we chat yep. uh, and I was watching yep. a couple of videos this morning interviews that you've done and one we're gonna actually go to to your mom and I know your mom passed from Alzheimer's uh, which is and this is also this is I think Alzheimer month coming up yes how did your mom's illness affect what you're doing and your life. Oh, it, uh, it, it, it's, it was actually like the pandemic. I, I call the pandemic my second pivot because um, my life didn't make sense um, on so many levels. When I, was, when I found out she was diagnosed with uh, dementia, which is the precursor to Alzheimer's, it was kind of disbelief. It was unbelievable because uh, she was only 61. Mm -hmm. And here I was, a bachelor, workaholic, just had met my, my wife. At that point, we were just dating and my dad, we saw that she had been hiding all these things. She'd been forgetting. For instance, she would just laugh it off. And, and so when we found out she needed care, my dad became a caregiver. And I, I had what I call an opportunity. And, you know, there's, the family dynamics that happen is very interesting because some people can't handle it and they run from it and they, they just don't deal with it. And what I wanted to do was be there for my mom and my dad because my dad was always a great father. He was always a great husband. We didn't always see eye to eye. He was a very strict, a strict father. But I think him being strict kept me out of trouble and actually gave me the character to make good choices. And I think his, when he said that your, uh, your character is your only asset you truly have, you can lose everything. But if you have your character, you can rebuild anything. And that, that was my thank you to him, was to care give with, me, with him and partner with him to take care of my mom. Well, your mom, your mom was young because I, you know, I'm 63, so I'm looking at that going, oh, my gosh, you know, that she was my age. How, at what age did she pass? She had aggressive Alzheimer's, so she had stage four. It went wow. uh, by age 65. She, uh, I, I learned the hard way that what you forget to do last is to swallow, and so you need to uh, have intravenous uh, oh. nutrition and Finally, you can't even function there. So it's a complete reverse shutdown. Uh, it's going from baby to adult and back to baby. And But what happened that you, uh, I guess you were talking about or why, why it impacted me so much is I thought if I was in her place, what have I done in my life? And mm -hmm. I also asked, what am I going to, if I, ever, if I ever have a child, how do I show up as I mattered or that I have a legacy? And the first thing that came to mind was I have to write a book. So I wrote my very first book 13 uh, months after. It was one month late, but I did it and uh, lost a ton of money. <laughs> had to lick my wounds and just really wonder if I was supposed to be in the book business. And I slept on it, prayed on it, and I thought, you know what? This is the lesson on how not to do it. And so I redid the book. I learned so much about you know, trusting people that say they can do publishing, they can do marketing, they can do editing. And I just started from scratch, redid it another $3,500 on top of the 22000 Redid it, and it actually did very well. That book? It was called Becoming the Perfect Networker, Succeeding One Connection at a Time. And the first, uh, the first book, I printed 2,000 copies in color. It's massively expensive. And it was laden with 42 grammatical errors after I had paid an editor to <laughs> clean, clean the book. And it was, it was really embarrassing. So uh, I got a ton of really good reviews because I asked people to review. I knew reviews were essential even back in 2009. 
And people said, well, I, I don't really have a good review for there's so many grammatical errors. And I said, well, can you review me on the content? Because I was not the editor. And they, they agreed to do so. And then I republished the book with their names that said that they would give me the, the mistakes they found. Hmm. So we cleaned the book up and repu- republished it. It went five editions. And the, the second, third, fourth, and fifth edition got me out of that hole that the first edition got me in. Well, that's incredible. And um, was that the book where you had the chapter zero? <clears throat> yes. <laughs> Can you chapter explain zero. that one? I saw, I saw a, an interview about that and thought that was clever. So uh, outside on the, on the cover, the one that lost, lost me so much money, it had a red ribbon on the outside that said almost 100 books sold because when I printed the book, I hadn't sold any books, and I thought that was the way to really um, <laughs> add, add some levity to the fact that I was doing my first book with zero sales. So I said almost 100 books sold. And uh, I printed 2,000 copies, so it was going to go well over that amount. And here's what's funny. I only sold 11 books out of that 2,000. So it was, a, it was a financial disaster in all kinds of levels. But um, the uh, chapter zero, I wanted to do something completely different and help people know that before you can be even powerful, you have to acknowledge that you are possibly being unpowerful or disempowering. And so I start my first page in the book. I think it's the only book on the planet that starts on page negative one. Mm-hmm. And negative one graphic of a, a man saying, I have no money and I have no time. And the reason I chose those two things is because we go to those limited resources that we have and we say we can't do something because we don't believe we have enough. And then chapter zero is a defeatist attitude of just saying, I, got, I have nothing I can do to make a difference. So going through that chapter, then you go to chapter one a couple pages later, and that is the chapter that really starts the book with what my intention is, which is to cause people to step into their power and know that whatever they want to see in the world they want to change, they can do it. And this came from really my mom's mentality uh, when I was uh, a young entrepreneur, which I didn't even know that's what it was called back then. She always believed that I could do anything. And because of that belief system that she had in me, I adopted that belief system. And so I became an eternal optimist like my mom. And my dad said he was not a pessimist. He was a realist. <laughs> well, your dad said something which, which cracked me up, and it was about taking out the trash. Can you kind of tell everybody about your trash story? Yes, yeah, that was uh, when I was in my first year of college. I was taking 28 credits. I found out, you know, entrepreneurs always have to find the hack. And the hack was at this community college, after you paid for 15 credits, all the credits afterwards are free. And so I signed up for every freaking class I could fit into a time block of of Monday through Friday, and it came up 20 credits. And that was all the way into the evening. And I I was always rushing and always trying to – and all I cared about was learning. I loved to learn. So that the idea of getting all those credits was I was getting all this free learning. And uh, – I was running out the door, and my dad says, hey, take the trash out. And I said, Dad, I'm late. i got to go. And I, uh, I don't have any time to take the trash out. And as you and I know, taking the trash out takes about a minute, maybe, maybe a little longer, but about a minute. And my dad stopped me, and he says, you know, Ken, I'm not really concerned that you are um, giving me a bunch of baloney, and I don't think you use that word, um, but I'm concerned that you believe the baloney that you're saying. And that stopped me in my, stopped me in my tracks, I said, wow, i got to be careful about that because I was believing it. And it really evolved into all kinds of things. Like we, we believe, whatever we believe, we have to prove it's true. And so if you believe that you are not powerful or that you can't do things, you will convince yourself. And so it's a very dangerous thing to buy into. Well, and you said, I've heard you say this too, that Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. 
And I heard that and I'm like, that is so true. It is true. Because I hear a lot of people say, well, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't, uh, you know, I lost all my money, I can't move on. And I'm thinking, okay, well, you can. It's a choice. It's a choice. And uh, getting back to your writing, did, have, have you always enjoyed writing? Have you loved writing? I heard your dad told you you were terrible. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, he used the word um, tragedy. Awful. Oh, it's tragedy. <laughs> so, yeah, he would say, uh, like, I would go to bed when I had, I mean, this was even, this wasn't just high school, this was beginning college, and I would put the paper on the, the desk when he was reading whatever he was reading, and I'd say, Dad, do you mind looking this over? And he'd go, yes, I'll do it. And then he would do it. He would stay up till two or three in the morning, and I would come up, wake up in the morning, and I'd see just red everywhere. And on top of it, would say, "This is a tragedy." And so I would, I would learn from all these mistakes I was making over time. The, the red started dissipating, and I think by my my senior, senior, senior year, and that's my seventh year of college. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Overachieving. Well, it, it was that I didn't know what I wanted to do with my college education, so I just kept taking tons of classes. Uh, when I was, when they were at, uh, kind of encouraging me to graduate, I, I said, well, what, what would, would be the fastest degree? And they said, you have three tracks you could get a degree in right now. <laughs> <laughs> and you finally got it in what? Uh, I think it was, a, it was a Bachelor of Science General Studies, and then I went back <laughs> and got <laughs> then I, cause I, I was studying medical illustration, but I went to Johns Hopkins for ROTC, and when I met the the uh, people that were doing medical illustration and then they shared what the job was like, I quickly canceled that as my my path. Mm. It was uh, it was horrifically monotonous and boring. So my creative juices would have been really <laughs> stopped. And so I I ended up going back to college a year later and got my certification to teach science. Retook all my science classes and taught phys- uh, physical science, which is the study of matter and energy for eighth graders. And I did that for four years. Oh, you'd be a great science teacher. I bet you kept your kids engaged. <laughs> you know, there were two things. I, I, I had a couple of funny stories about teaching, and I, I, I laughed because they, they really were the, some of the funniest moments of my life. But I, was, I said to my kids on the first day, I was in a kind of rough school system. PG County is uh, the outskirts of D.C., and it, it, it has some really uh, – there, there's a lot of gun shootings and a lot of uh, unfortunate incidents that happen because of violence. And so it, it's known that PG County has 850 teachers back then that would ha- uh, have to be recruited for the, the following year. They lost that many teachers a year, 850. Um, and so I said to my kids, I said, uh, listen, I only have two rules. I mean, a lot of the teachers you are going to go into classrooms are going to have a litany of rules. Um, they might – some of them are repetitive to the school code or anything. I just have two simple rules. My rule number one is uh, do not bring any type of weapon into my class, especially a gun. And rule number two is if you break no rule number one, do not shoot the teacher. <laughs> Good rules. I, and I really believe in that rule. I said I, this is a rule that I'm just not going to bend on. And yeah. so, <laughs> Absolutely. And so the, uh, the, so I, I blew up something the first day. I, I had that as my comic relief for my kids. And eighth grade is a funny age because they can, they can appreciate that humor a little bit. But I, I, I had a, a five-gallon uh, water, uh, water, you know, the, the water holder. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was empty, and I put a little uh, ethanol in it. And no one knows the ethanol's in there. And 
I said, you know, what's in here? And they said, air. And I said, well, if I take this match and I put it in, what will happen? And so I put the match and it would explode right in front of them. And they knew out of the gate that they had a crazy teacher. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then the, the other thing I did was I did two um, – I had a the bottom line that Kenny memorized. I said, if you ever tell me an excuse of why you can't do something in my science class, you will write this paper called the bottom line. So I gave it to him. I said, this is the one you get to look at, read, and you never have to write it. But if you ever give me an excuse in this class, you have to write this. And so they learned very quickly within a couple of weeks. The bottom line was handed out. It was serious. You had to submit it between uh, that day and the next day or you couldn't participate in the lab. I mean, it, it would shut down everything that happened in that class for you. And so... It was because I wanted the right attitude in the class. And I, I, I asked kids who love science and not too many kids raised their hand. And I asked how many people hated science. A lot more hands went up for that. And I said, if, if you hate science, then I just need to understand uh, that there's no hypocrisy. There's no hypocrites in my classroom. And I said, do you know what that means? And, they, and very few did. I said, a hypocrite is someone that says they love something but really hate it or hate something but really love it. And it's the opposite of who they really, what they're really stating. I said, if you truly hate science, then, and you're not a hypocrite, that would mean you will not use anything science has made. So if you come to class naked and smelly every single day to my class, I will believe you really hate science. But if you are using the products science makes, which are uh, filtered water, soap, brushing your teeth, toothpaste, and I just, I said, if you can name anything you're using that wasn't made by science, then you don't have to use it. So... They started appreciating science more. <laughs> I can understand that. That's fabulous, and uh, you know, it makes me <laughs> makes me laugh because I didn't think I ever liked science, but <laughs> I do. I do. I, I love learning things, and uh, and I bet, like I said, I bet you were a fabulous science teacher. And my kids were all in STEM programs, so they loved science and math and technology and all those things. And it's it's fun to see the next generation, you know, the kids today that like your son that are already on the computers, that are already doing those science projects and, and just enjoying it. Uh, but a lot of it comes from engaging parents, engaging teachers, and, and we need to encourage that also amongst the, the teaching group. Well, and and uh, one last part about the, the uh, teaching uh, students, as my only goal when I taught was that they would leave my classroom at the end of the year understanding what it is to critically think and problem solve. That was my only goal. So whatever I taught them, I didn't care if they didn't learn it or know it. What I cared is that they learned from the fact that they didn't know it. So in other words, if they took a test and they missed any part of the test, they could submit the correct answers that they did not know in the test and get one grade level higher just for submitting what they didn't know, but they had read it 10 times. So for instance, if you didn't know what hydrogen does in, the, in life, you could write what hydrogen does in life 10 times, and you write every one of your mistakes 10 times. It's called test corrections, and you got a grade level higher because I was more concerned with it, what they didn't know than what they learned. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a great way to learn. I mean, we know that by writing things down, you're learning so much more than just by looking at it, listening exactly. to it. I mean, I, I learned so much by – I love audible books. But if I really like it, then I'll get the the hard copy or the paperback hard copy and sit there and I will highlight it and I'll take notes. And then to take that even further, write it in a journal, you know, commit it to memory. So I, I can see how they would do so much better doing that. I want to move really quickly because I knew our hour was going to fly by. You started writing and doing your, um, your amplified uh, messages and the amplified 
radio station. Thank you. I was a guest on that a couple of years ago, which was lots of fun. But you wanted it because you, you wanted to change the world and to leave, leave a legacy. Um, you have published quite a lot. You're a very, I would consider you a prolific writer, and that's fabulous. So what was your intent on leaving? Why were you leaving that legacy for Kenny and for the next generation? Why was that important to you? Uh, I wanted to live my life as a tribute to my mom and to, to pay it to the highest level. I just wanted to see what is humanly possible. And so the first year I said, if I could do one book a year for the rest of my life, that would amount to a nice amount of books that I, I leave. And when my son came into the picture, I said, wow, I want to write books that he knows who I am because I, I, I fathered Kenny at a very late age. I was just about 50. So he's, he's eight, I'm 57. So we, uh, we know that I won't be able to see him possibly as he has grandkids, as he has kids, I'm a grandfather. So I want to make sure that there was never a doubt in his mind that I loved him or never a doubt in his mind that my experiences in life, in life would help him make his life better. Well, and I thank you for that because it was interesting. Years ago, uh, my dad and I did a lot of family history together. And I kept saying, Dad, you need to write this down. I want you to tell your story. Uh, because my dad retired at 55 thinking that he wasn't going to live past 60. His father had died at an early age, so he retired as a dentist and kept thinking, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be around for a, lot, a long time. So I was like, write down your story. He wouldn't do it until mm. he wrote his first book. He's written three, four. He's written four now. His first book was called My 50 Golden Years, and he mm. wrote about raising his golden retrievers for 50 years. Wow. And in, in that, he put in stories about my brother being born and me being born, and it was family history wrapped around the birth and death of these golden retrievers. It was extraordinary. Cool. That is cool. It didn't, it didn't sell a lot. It's still on Amazon. Actually, I just ordered one because he, he'd given all of his <laughs> away. It's called My 50 Golden Years by Dr. Jack. And then I'm like, okay, Dad, so keep going. He thought that was pretty fun once he figured out the technology of you know speaking into his computer and all that. Glad you did that for your father and for you and for your family because that's the whole point is uh, we can live with our mom, our dad, our brother, sister, but we don't know what they're thinking. We don't know 90% of really their experience in life. We're not with them all the time. Well, in that age so group, they, didn't, they don't talk much. They don't tell stories. But my father's yeah. a storyteller. His next book was called No Ifs, Ands, or Buts, B-U-T-Z. That was our last name. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and then he has Swing and Sway with Dr. J. He has played golf all his life. He has an incredible memory of every, I think, eight or nine hole-in-ones. He knew what golf club he used, who was with him. And I'm like, how do you remember those things? I can't remember if I had breakfast. <laughs> but here's the greatest thing, and this is, I think, what, what you feel about your books, too, is that when I read that written by my dad, I can hear his voice. I can hear him laughing. Mm-hmm. It, he lives nearby me. I spend a lot of time with him. He works for me, actually. And I just love the way I feel when I read those books. Same thing about my first my book, my, The Woman Behind the Smile. When I wrote that, it was so that my kids would understand what I'd gone through and who I am. And I've gotten very vocal as far as the whole stand up and speak up is that you've got to tell your story. You've got to let people know that what happened to you looks like a tragedy, looks like something painful, but there's so much good that can come out of it. And your mom passing, that was difficult. And, you know, watch a family member go through that for so many years is so discouraging on levels and enlightening on levels. But what you learn from it and what you've taken from it to spread to the world, for me, is incredible. You've done an incredible job. 
So thank you for doing that. And thank you for amplifying. Just really briefly, tell folks what your Amplified Radio and, and what that was all about, or what that is all about. Well, on the back of every Keep Smiling card, which apparently we've handed out 2.5 million of these cards, wow. on the back it says, We Amplified Goodness. And if you think about that, that is probably the best mission to have in life is when you see good amplified. Amplify means to make something louder without distortion. And without distortion means there's integrity to the message being louder. My, my license plate on my uh, car says Amplify. The, the show is Voice America Influencer Channel. The, the show is called Amplified, and it's about amplifying the life of leaders that have created a life they love and cause community and inspiration. You're doing a fabulous job, Ken, and I'm so glad that our paths crossed years ago. It was actually through Voice of America, I think, when I had my show on Voice of America. Uh, but thank yeah. you so much for the umbrella syndicate that you're doing for Amplified, for the Dr. Smiley and the Keep Smiling. That makes me smile. I'm telling you, I'm sitting here looking at Kenny's picture <laughs> on my computer, <laughs> and he just makes me smile. And thank you for having, uh, letting him, letting him, allowing him to be my guest today. Uh, it was a great way to start the start the day and to kick this off, and uh, I'm hoping that my guests just have a smile on their face because it's so great to see the next generation have promise and have excitement and joy in what they're doing. And uh, we'll we'll leave we'll leave ourselves or our families and whatever to the next generation that are good people, and that's what we want: amplify goodness and. Thank you so much. So how can people get a hold of you if they want to connect uh, either on social media or with your, with your uh, business? Well, I'll say this extremely briefly. Uh, there's a book called Dose of Hope. And uh, Debbie, you're in that book sharing your story um, about how you created who you are, why you are, and how you are. And we'll talk about this after the show. But anybody that knows an inspirational person, please get them to us. And it's the keepsmilingmovement.com. And on Facebook, uh, Ken Mershon, soon to be uh, Facebook page, Dr. Smiley, but my my email is ken at com. Thank you so much for your for your time. I know you're a really busy guy, and thanks to Kenny for being here, and to your wife, best mom, that uh, has, uh, I'm just happy today. This is a really great start to my week, and I'm going off to spend the next two days celebrating my dad's 92nd birthday, because it's going to go on and on and on with Dr. Jack. Yeah. I was going to say, I'm never too busy to be with people that I care about and that I think are making a difference in the world. So it was an honor to be on the show with you. Well, it's my pleasure. And I, I, we will get this out because I think people need to connect with, with you and with your movement and, uh, and go get Kenny's books and his dad's books uh, because we're going, to change a, we're going to change a generation with young men like your son. So thank you so much, Ken. I really appreciate you being here. Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Speak Up. We are dedicated to encouraging you to remove the mask of embarrassment and being your best self. If you've been a victim of a scam or cybercrime, please visit againstscams.org for assistance and guidance about options and recovery. SCARS, the Society of Citizens Against Relationship Scams, is an incorporated nonprofit crime victims assistance organization based in Miami, supporting scam victims worldwide. If you can, please make a small donation to help the victims around the world receive the help that they need. This episode has been sponsored by BenfoComplete.com, a vitamin supplement company that supports happy and healthy hands and feet for those with neuropathy. If you or anyone you know struggles with the pins and needles or numbness in their hands and feet, check out our Benfo teaming products at BenfoComplete.com and use the special code STANDUP for 5% discount on your purchase. Again, thanks everybody for being here with us today. Go to my website, thewomanbehindthesmile.com, for additional information and resources. Check out my YouTube channel and subscribe. 
and follow the replays of all of our great guests. Have a great day, everyone. Thanks very much for being here.